This week, a friend sent me an article that some of you might have seen. It was by Tara Hale. Tara writes about surge capacity in a, a recent article, and surge capacity was something she learned about as she navigated her way through this time of a pandemic. Tara is an accomplished journalist. She focuses in areas of science. She is married. She has two young children. And she talked about how interesting it was that as late winter went into spring, that even though the pandemic was changing things, and even though her children weren't in school, and even though work was changing for her and her husband, and even though they couldn't find toilet paper every time they went to the store, that overall there was this sense of optimism, there was this sense of appreciating the, the moments with family, the uh, simplicity of the schedule. And she said overall it felt like she was doing well. And she kept doing pretty well for, for weeks and weeks. However, as spring then went into summer, she started having a harder time finding that optimism. She had a harder time finding energy. She talked to a therapist about it, and the therapist said that she was not any different than most other people. And it's that conversation where she learned about surge capacity. Look on your screen at what she writes in this article. In those early months, I, along with most of the rest of the country, was using surge capacity to operate. As Ann Masters, PhD, a psychologist and professor of child development at the University of Minnesota calls it, surge capacity is a collection of adaptive systems, mental and physical, that humans draw on for short-term survival in acutely stressful situations, such as natural disasters. But natural disasters occur over a short period of time, even if recovery is long. Pandemics are different. The disaster itself stretches out indefinitely. The pandemic has demonstrated both what we can do with surge capacity and the limits of surge capacity, says Mastin. When it's depleted, it has to be renewed. But what happens when you struggle to renew it because the emergency phase has now become chronic? What happens when it's impossible to renew it because what it was the emergency phase of life has become chronic. It's, it's normal. And we know as we sit here at the end of August that it's, it's not just the pandemic. It's so much of what's taking place in 2020. It's like in, in many ways we're coming apart at the seams. We're we dealing with crises. I mean, you think about this week, a Category 4 hurricane hit the country, causing massive damage and loss. And yet the night that it hit, it wasn't even the top story on many news channels. In a normal time, we would have been tracking this thing for a week and everyone would have known the path because it would have been plastered everywhere. These times are different and the surge capacity that we need to get through these times is depleted and we can't renew it. In this article, Tara Hale writes about how we start to try to renew this surge capacity as we go through the weeks and months to come. Interestingly enough, she said that one of the first things we need to do is that we need to name and grieve the things that are lost. We talked about this last week in our three-week series, Three Things. The second of the three things was lament, and I hope that this week you have been able to cry out to God in our pain and in our grief and in our suffering. Lord, where are you? How long? But as the article goes on, it talks about how we have to find rhythms to find ways of resting and restoring, and it's that that I want to talk about as the third of these three things. For this day and this week, I want us to focus on the biblical practice of Sabbath. 
of Sabbath. Now, I have to confess to you that with everything taking place in our nation and in our world this week, I wondered if this was one of those weeks we needed to change the sermon at the last minute. Up until last night, I was praying and wrestling with, did we need to redo it? What does Sabbath have to do with where we are right now? And yet, as I sat and prayed about it, I don't think that this is avoiding anything. In fact, I think it might be the exact message that we need to hear as we navigate these turbulent times and that all of us are going to need to focus our attention on practicing. So I hope you'll give me a few minutes to see where we might go. Now, in the scripture passage that you just heard Jill read from Genesis chapter 2, we read where Sabbath came into uh, kind of our sense of what life is supposed to look like. And it doesn't come by God telling us how to live. It starts with how we see God operating. Part of what I love about Genesis 2, 1 through 4, is we see that creation happens over seven days. And it's not six days of activity and then God collapsing in exhaustion. But actually, the seventh day of rest, after God has worked, separating the light from the darkness, the land from the uh, sea, the uh, creation of animals, the creation of humankind, it says on the seventh day that God rests, but that rest is part of the creation story. It's part of the creation narrative. God's freedom to choose rest is a part of how this world is formed, how you and I are shaped and formed. I heard an interview a couple of years ago with Questlove, a wonderful artist and kind of renaissance uh, person who is very active in society today. And in this interview, he was talking about his fear that creativity might be lost in newer generations. And he says that part of why he worries about the status of creativity in the world is that creativity requires space. It requires what he says, almost boredom. And he says that we live in a way and we're teaching our children to live in a way where efficiency and attainment of goals and constantly being busy gives us a sense of self-worth. And when we come to moments where we have some space in the middle of the day or have some space at the end of the day, we go to our devices and we binge out on YouTube videos or on Netflix or uh, on, on, on social media. And he says that somewhere that can be lost in this is the ability just to be still, to rest, to uh, be in that space where creativity bubbles up and emerges. Theologically, what he was saying is exactly what we see God doing in Genesis. That part of the creation narrative is God resting. That resting is a part of creation We see in the next book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, where this becomes more and more a narrative of what God says, not only is the rhythms of how God works, but how his people are supposed to operate. In the book of Exodus, when the people are freed from and liberated from slavery in Egypt, they are given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. This is before they go wandering into the wilderness in search of the promised land, led by Moses. These Ten Commandments are the foundation of the Torah, which over the course of the Old Testament, over 600 laws that will be given of what to do and what not to do as God's people. But these 10 are the basis and the foundation of it all. Commandment number four, you'll see, says, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Of over 600 laws, this is number four. And just in case you want to know how important it is to God, it comes before commandment number six, which says don't murder. It comes before commandment number seven that says don't commit adultery. It comes before commandment number eight that says don't steal. And if you're sitting there going, yeah, but the Sabbath was this concept that in our world we're so busy and look at the issues taking place in our nation. How is it that we could even uh, have an idea of practicing this with all that's going on in our lives and our families? I'm not certain we have 
more of a claim to that than the people who this was given to. I mean, you think about the Israelites when they heard this, that they had just been liberated from 500 years of slavery. They're wondering where their food is going to come from. They're wondering where their water is going to come from. They don't have a system of governance. They don't have a a sense of where they're going. They've been promised a, a, a land flowing with milk and honey where they've never been, and they don't know what's there. And yet God says that as you journey forward as my people with so much that you have to figure out, on the seventh day you shall rest to keep the Sabbath holy. Before we get into murder, before we get into stealing, you need to keep this day holy. And I'm certain that there were some efficiency experts among the Israelites who after week after week, month after month, year after year of resting in the desert every seven days were like, hey, could we just keep going? Like we're just ready to get to the land flowing with milk and honey and just like resting every seven days. Like we could just cut a lot of time out of the journey if we could keep going. God says that this is how you remember that I'm the one that liberated you. I'm the one that uh, parted the Red Sea. I'm the one that provides manna from heaven. I'm the one that's brought water from the rock. It's learning to journey with me and trusting in me and resting and being recreated in me. This concept of how we need to live this out in our time kind of abruptly came into my life at the same time Tara Hale was beginning to struggle with her surge capacity being depleted. I think I was struggling with the same thing as spring moved into summer. I was worried about what happens to the church. I was worried about my children and school and the isolation. I was worried about uh, the plans that were being canceled. It was a time when I felt more stressed. I wasn't sleeping the way that I would like to. I am told I was not the most fun to be around. And in the middle of those early summer days, I was invited to participate in a Zoom call that was led by Andy Crouch. Andy is a name that we've talked about here before. He, he uh, framed, he's a strategic thinker, a writer, um, uh, an entrepreneur, and he wrote early on in this pandemic about the difference in uh, a blizzard, winter, or an ice age. Talked about how most organizations were going to treat this as a blizzard, just hunker down and get through it so life can go back to normal. But he said, no, we need to start thinking of this as either a long winter or an ice age. I was excited to get on this call with him. He's someone that uh, I felt like could give us a lot of direction, hopefully give me a lot of direction as a a pastor. In this call, we were told we only had an hour with him. He spent like the first 15 minutes talking about Sabbath, and I could feel my disappointment. It's like, dude, I, I need some steps here as to what to do. But then he said, I know that some of you are pastors on here. He said, I'm certain that when we talk about Sabbath, you've preached about Sabbath, you've taught about Sabbath, you've lectured about Sabbath, you've probably done exegesis about Sabbath, you've translated the Hebrew. But in my experience of pastors and leaders, you could have done all of that. But I'm not certain you believe in it because most of you don't practice it. He said, if all you're looking for is strategy and steps, if all you're going to lean on is is your own uh, wit, your own charm, and your own uh, strategic thinking, if all you're going to lean on is the committees and the processes of the church working things through, all of that needs to happen. I know you're all working really hard, and that's a really good thing, but the thing about this pandemic is it is bigger than what you can figure out. The things that are shifting and changing around us, you don't have control over most of it. And if you don't practice Sabbath, you're going to spend all of your time stressing out about things that ultimately you can't control and you're going to burn out. It reminded me that Sabbath is about sitting back 
and trusting God, sitting back for a designated day, a designated period of time and saying, Lord, it's not that everything seems in control. It's not that everything's figured out. But Lord, on this day, I trust in you, which is where my trust is all the time when I'm in my right frame of mind and my right spirit, because I don't have control over most of this. I can't strategize our way through this. But I believe that you love your church. I believe that you love this world. I believe that you love covenant. I believe that you love my children. I believe that you go before me. I believe that you're behind me. I believe that you're holding me up beneath me. I believe that you're above me, watching over me. I believe in these things. And so this day, I do the radical choice of choosing rest as an act of faith of the only sure thing we have. The other thing that happens in Sabbath when we rest is that creation happens again, that recreation happens again. It's where we start getting uh, again a glimpse through worship and through rest and through our souls being stirred of the vastness of God's kingdom because the thing that we all keep doing is we keep assuming that our viewpoint is always God's viewpoint. And then we hammer away at our viewpoint out of a sense of self-righteousness. But as the Israelites wandered through, they had to keep getting a glimpse of what God wanted for their people. As we go through this time, I need to keep asking the question, Lord, what do you want for covenant? What is your dream for our society? What is your dream for our nation? What is your plan for the kingdom? Allow my vision to, to, to open up. Allow me to raise my head up from the, the daily do, uh, responsibilities and doing and accomplishing to raise our head up and to understand and catch a glimpse of the vastness of what you want in this world. A kingdom that is beyond anything that any of us can imagine. And I wonder, as we journey through 2020, if that's what every single one of us needs to practice. For six days a week, working, standing for, witnessing for the things that we see in this world of a God who says that love is stronger than hate and witnessing and seeking to live out that love, of a God who says that life triumphs over death and believing in that and claiming that in this world and in our lives, and a God who says that there is a day coming in the kingdom when justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, and of working for that and of laboring for that and of standing for that, for six days a week, pouring ourselves into the things that we see the, see the kingdom is about, but one day stopping and resting so that we can be recreated, so that we can find rest, that our souls can be restored, that we gain a glimpse of what God's kingdom is again and have our, our horizons expanded so that we don't get through this year a burned out, cynical shell of ourselves with our surge capacity just constantly depleted. The third of these three things, I invite you this week, I invite you in the weeks to come to claim the biblical practice of Sabbath rest. What would that look like? Well, this is the part that we can't get formulaic about because in the end, that's between you and the Lord. The question to sit with is, where is your soul restored? Where do you find rest? Where are you renewed in God's love? Where are your horizons about the kingdom expanded? And for each person, they rest in the Lord a little bit differently. I asked a number of people this week, some on our staff, some uh, folks around the country, of how it is that they, when they discipline themselves to do it, how do they find Sabbath rest? And nobody's answer was the same. 
Some people said that they uh, like silence and, and, and just having no sound and no interruption. Some said, I need music because silence just doesn't work for me. Some people said that uh, I need to be outside and so I need to go for a walk in nature. Others said, it's not walking, but I need to go on a drive by myself. Some said, on that drive, I'll listen to music and sing and pray or cry or shout out to God. Some people said that I do paintings or art. And, and one person said, I do oil paintings, which the idea of that stresses me out, but it's not my way of resting. It's where this person's soul is restored and their, and their connection with God, where they are recreated to then go back out six days a week to live out and witness to the things that this world needs to know and stand for and hear about. I invite you as we close this series to practice each of these three things. And today, to claim with your family, with the people that you're living around and near, to claim what Sabbath rest will look like for you, that you might be restored and catch a glimpse of all that God wants for your life in this world. Hallelujah and amen.